Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. Tonight we're looking at verse 11 through 14. And it says, And do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness, let us put on the armor of light, let us walk properly as in the day, not in rivalry and drunkenness, not in licentiousness and lewdness, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Now, Paul sensed that the Lord's coming was near. And since he sensed that, he also sensed from the Lord. He also sensed from the Lord that the last days would be a time where the church would be asleep, where the believers would not be spiritually awake. Now, Paul, by the Holy Spirit, Peter, by the Holy Spirit, sensed the Lord's coming near in order to give us, a, us instruction in the last times. And so every generation has sensed that the timing is near, but in particular, the Lord had the apostles sense that, feel that, because then they would talk about it, they would write about it by the Holy Spirit to give us instruction. Because as you look at Jude, it says the scriptures are given once for all times. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, that it was given to us by the Son in these last days. And so those men who were under the ministry of Jesus Christ wrote the scriptures, and now we call it canonized. In other words, there's no more scriptures that are going to be added. So if somebody says, hey, i got another book to add after Revelation, we say, no, you're wrong. Um, it's, it's complete. And so the Bible says all that we need for life and godliness. So therefore, like for instance, John had a revelation, not for his time, but for the very end days, not even for the church. But it was scriptures for those who would be here during the tribulation period. And hopefully none of us will be here during the tribulation period and needing really to have those scriptures to know because um, you can mark the time, the three and a half year period. You need to get over to the rock city of Petra. Hopefully when we go to Israel this time, I'm trying to work it out so we can go over and see the rock city of Petra. Ned showed me some pictures. He had just uh, been there this last year and it's really a fabulous place to see. And... Uh, you know, since we won't be seeing it during the tribulation period, uh, we'll go get a peak preview of where the people who should have believed and didn't will end up. But God's going to supernaturally put his hand and protect them during that last three and a half year period in particular. But we have many scriptures for the church in these last days, some by Jesus Christ, some by the Apostle Paul, some by Peter, some by James. And all of them, without fail, signify the end-time believers as sleepy fellows, as not awake as they should be. And because of it, they're going to be taken advantage by the devil and by the world. Now, why does the Bible write this? So we can be wise and not be caught up in the sleepiness of these last days. 
And so we can wake up and not be taken advantage of by the devil. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, we are not ignorant of his devices that he should take advantage of us. So in the last days, what is Satan's ploy on the church? If you can't beat him, join him. And that's what he's going to do. And in particular, he's going to try to lull us to sleep, try to desensitize us to the world around us, until evil is sort of not the best thing to do. It's not evil. Until good is not the right way and the truth, but it's sort of a good thing to do if it works out. And so living the Christian life sort of becomes an optional thing, and the common denominator becomes so low that Jesus says, be hot or be cold, but don't be lukewarm. I want to spew you out of my mouth. Now, Jesus in particular says, in Matthew chapter 24, in particular, he points out that in the last days, that like that servant who wasn't paying attention, who said the Lord's coming is not going to be for a while, and he started slacking off, slacking off, until finally he was beating the other servants, and he was getting drunk. And, and when the Lord came, he found that man so doing. The man who was his servant, who he put in charge of his house, the church, not just asleep, but actually being evil. And this is the picture we see here with Paul. Jesus says, the last days will be as the days of Noah. They were giving and taking in marriage. You go back into the book of Genesis and the heart of man was evil continually and they would not listen to the preaching of Noah, even though he preached over a hundred years. They wouldn't listen. And there it caught them by surprise as the door shut, the Lord shut the door and washed them all away. And he says the last days are going to be that way. We are in that day. People are marrying and divorcing all the time, no big deal, marrying and giving in marriage time and time again. Until now, 38% of the kids in America are being raised by a single parent. Until it's not surprising to try to find somebody who's not been divorced. That's the norm. Well, don't worry about it. That's just your first marriage. It'll be better in your second Oh, don't worry about that. You know, your first marriage is always that way. The, the second marriage or third marriage, you'll, you'll catch on. Include. It's this mentality. And I don't say that to condemn anybody because I, I do know that now in the church, we are divorcing more than in the world. Of course, the world's just not marrying. And that's the reason their statistic has gone down. The church is still marrying, but they're marrying more than once. So that statistic's a little deceptive. But nevertheless, it, it does say rightly that the church, 51% of the people in the church that get married in the church, divorce. Half, more than half now. And so there is this mentality, you see, that's kicked in. There's this mentality that said, it's not the best thing to do, but it's an option. And you go back in Scripture and read Matthew chapter 19, it was no option. Jesus says, if you divorce, you cannot remarry, period. And if your wife divorces, 
if your wife marries somebody else, she's committing adultery, and the man she ma- that marries her is committing adultery. And if that man goes off and marries, remarries, he's committing adultery, and he's causing the woman he marries to commit adultery. That's what Jesus taught. And of course, we're sort of in horror and shock, going, <gasps> that's such a narrow road. That's what he says, and difficult it is to find it. That's it. You want the teaching on divorce? That's it. But what does the last day's church say? Oh, rules me out. Half, more than half, 51%, creeping up to 52% of the people in this room tonight have divorced because they said, I was unhappy. They were this, they were that. Now, Jesus did say, if they commit adultery, you have grounds to divorce them. Interesting, the very next chapter in Matthew says, or the chapter, excuse me, before that was, how many times shall we forgive our brother? Seven times? No, 70 times seven. I don't think that's coincidental (laughs) that the chapter, the entire chapter giving to forgiving your brother is the one right before divorce. And so again, Jesus says there's one reason divorce happens. Why is it? Hardness of heart. Bottom line, hardness of heart. I don't want to try anymore. I give up. Love, you see, endures all things. Love believes all things. Love never stops. At divorce, they say, I stop. I give up on you. It's just a frame of mind. If that same person, you, you could just take a screwdriver and, and just put it inside their head and take the, you know, hook up there at that Phillips screw in their head and just clink it. Just one turn to say, go back a step. Oh, I'm willing to forgive you. That's it. it takes one second. It's just an attitude of heart. But the hardness of heart, you see, as we're going to see here tonight, that's one of the signs of the end times. The hardness of heart. Men not wanting to forgive. Men not wanting to change. Men not wanting to yield. Men not wanting to get on that narrow road. And then somebody comes along, like prophet Noah, and says, there's one way, it's a narrow road, get on it, that's your only hope for salvation. They say, I don't like you. I don't like what you say. I don't appreciate it. It's too hard. And they go about their merry way. And so the church continues to compromise and compromise and compromise. And so we come back and try to teach verse by verse through the word. And it's a very harsh sounding to a carnal church. Jesus also said the last days would be as the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember Sodom and Gomorrah. It looks very much like the world we are in today. There the Bishop of Canterbury in England plainly put down his foot and said, we're not going to change the scriptures to include homosexuality. It's a sin. And the homosexuals of England stormed the church, took over the pulpit, pushed the people aside, forcefully saying, This is horrible. And of course, politically, the pressure now upon uh, that bishop there um, of the Anglican Church is incredible pressure, trying to hold tight. But the pressure is is intense, and it's going to continue to be intense. As we see the pressure that was upon Lot there in Sodom and Gomorrah, and then upon the angels when they came to deliver him. That push, that shove to force their lifestyle upon you, even if... You don't want it. They're going to force it upon you. That's what's happening today. 
The homosexual community is forcing it down your throats. They just had a junior high teacher that came out of the closet. I, I don't know what state it was in. I don't know if you heard about this. But he was a science teacher, and, and when he came out of the closet, parents started taking their child out of his class, eighth grade science class, until the class was just about empty. But what ended up happening, you see, he sued the school, sued the parents, sued the state for discrimination. And there, they make it very clear. Oh, this is clearly what happened to black people. This is what happened to Jews. This is, you know, we are persecuting them for who they are. No, we're not. They're perverts, and we're saying we don't want them to pervert our kids. But yet, they present it in such a way that if you don't agree with them, you are doing the same thing those narrow-minded rednecks did to the black people. You are doing the same thing the Nazis did to the Jews if you don't accept homosexuality. And folks, it is not a match. It is not apples and apples. But they're saying the homosexual was born that way, where the Bible clearly says in Romans chapter 1, it was a perverted choice they made because they took God out of the picture of their lives. God gave them over to such thinking. But the last days, here it is. Now what happened to Lot? Representation of the church and his wife and his daughters. That is the church. What happened to them? They had to forcefully grab them and drag them out of the city. They kept saying, let's go, let's go, let's go. They wouldn't come, and finally they grabbed a hold of them and dragged them out of the city. And then Jesus says in particular in Luke, remember Lot's wife. Jesus taught this on the end times. Remember Lot's wife. If you go back in the book of Genesis, it says she looked back. And the Hebrew word there, longingly, she claved, she desired Sodom and Gomorrah. Not that she had become a lesbian necessarily, but she fell in love with the world. She liked her house. She liked the fact that Lot was a political figure in the town. She had good friends. They were nice people. You know, she had a great market to shop at. You know, all of the things. Her heart had fallen in love with the world. And the Bible says if you love the world, what's going to happen? You're going to become an enemy of God. The Bible says if you love the world, that the love of the Father cannot dwell in you. And so you've got to understand here, you say, well, Brian, lighten up. You know, I, I, I'm hearing you, but I can't really agree with you adamantly that homosexuality is this horrible thing. You're already turning to a pillar of salt. Part of you is already becoming hard. You are already becoming a judge of the Bible. The Bible's no longer a judge of you, but you are becoming a judge of it. Go back and read Romans chapter 1. It plainly says that it was the end of homosexuality. In other words, how far can a society go before it crushes itself? Homosexuality is the last rung and it, it completely defiles a society and the society collapses. I said a number of years ago 
I said, watch, mainline denominations are going to have homosexual pastors soon. And I had people angry at me going, that will never happen. And now it's happening. I wasn't the only one saying it. As a matter of fact, I read it from uh, David Wilkerson's book. I didn't come up with my own. But it was clear. It was just, it didn't take a prophet to see what was coming. And I am telling you right now, and I didn't read it from anybody else, I'm telling you right now, bestiality is going to be an accepted norm. Just like they're coming out of the closet with homosexuality, they're going to be coming out of the closet with their horse or dog or whatever. As gross and as sickening as it is. But you got to realize, it was homosexuality was this gross and sickening 15 years ago. We talked about it. It's like, oh, you know, there's a handful of people doing something over in San Francisco. Don't even talk about it. You're grossing me out. But now it's like, it's in your face. You've got this eighth grade science teacher who's a good looking guy and suing the school and, and basically they lost. And so the court ordered them. He was so stressed out by it. He had to quit teaching. He's an administrator now in the school and uh, he couldn't teach any longer. He's too stressed out. But the court ordered, uh, this blows my mind, the court ordered that all the school, including the, the students, go through a year of tolerance-sensitive training. If that doesn't sound like Nazism, that's what Hitler did. Re-education camps. If you can't see that Jews are like rats, you can't see that, you need to go to a camp. You, you need to get some training so we can brainwash you to get you to see the Jews as they really are. Here they're trying to make you see homosexualities as fine and as normal and as good and we need to accept it and it's fine. I had a gal in our church here, I don't see her, she's been working for Sweetwater District here for 20 years. And they had a mandatory training, they do this every once in a while. Everybody in the entire school to the janitor, she's a cook, all the teachers, everybody had to be there, mandatory. And it was a four-hour meeting about, and it was two lesbians who were hired by the state of California, and they just told how they met, how they discovered they were lesbians. That's all it was. And they told you at the beginning, if you leave, it was going to go on your record that you have not gotten this training, and it's going to be a mark against you. They told them that. And there's a couple people that very boldly got up and left. And uh, I'm sure they're going to sense the repercussions. If you want to live godly in this life, you will be persecuted. But basically, that's all it was. For four hours, they just simply told them that we're okay. Meet us, shake our hand, talk to us. We're, you know, we all put on our pants one leg at a time just like you. It's just, this is who we are. Accept it. Don't judge us. Accept it. And God says, judge it. If God didn't say judge it, I'd say, hey, then we have no room to judge it. But God said to judge it. And he says to the church in the last days, wake up. Wake up. You're being desensitized through the media. You're being desensitized through the television. You're being desensitized through the school system now. You're being desensitized through the movies. You, you see, I the cartoon type of movies for the kids. And you look. You can tell 
which cartoon character is representing the homosexual. You know, he's got a lisp and he talks like this and he's a cartoon character. And he's feminine. And you see it. It happens. Disney wrote it into the script in Lion King where two of the creatures were homosexual partners. Those two, the one pig and the one other thing living in the woods, you know. Yeah, thank you. Um, and uh, whatever. And uh, those two creatures were homosexual partners, and they boldly say it in the script. Again, a kid's movie. Okay, it's pretty, it's pretty sick. And so the church now, you see, God's clearly made it light and darkness to us. But the pressure to go along, to get along. There is a peace in this world, Jesus said. The peace of saying, oh, I accept you as you are. There's a peace. I'm okay, you're okay. I don't have to judge you. I can just accept you for how you are. That peace of the world, you see, it's there. And the Bible says Satan is going to come saying what? Peace, peace. Lighten up. Are you telling me because he's a homosexual he can't be your dentist? He can't be a good dentist? No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying he might have AIDS. He's not sticking his hands in my mouth. And I want to know as a dentist here in town indeed gave a couple of people AIDS a few years back, as you remember from exactly that. Are you telling me that I, I can't teach math well because my mind's so twisted that I'm a homosexual? No, I'm not saying that. You're wanting to say that I'm saying that. I'm not saying that. I think you can exist on planet Earth, but spiritually you're dead and spiritually, you're corrupt. And read it in Romans chapter 1. It says, and not only do they know these things are wrong, it says they feel they have to encourage others to practice the same. That's a part of the, that's a part of the lifestyle. It's the very last part of Romans chapter 1. Some of you turn your Bibles there, so you're distracted. Turn your Bibles there. In verse 32, it says... Those uh, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, not only do the same also, but approve, and look up that word, at the New American Standard actually translates it, uh, encourages, I believe, of those who practice them. So, in other words, approve of those who practice them, or encourage those to practice them. Uh, give them uh, affirmation, affir uh, you know, saying, yes, yes, you're heading in the right direction. You might be a homosexual also. Just think about it for a while. You know what? You think about anything for a while, it's perverted. It will warp your mind. It really will. And uh, so if you think about it enough, you might discover you're one too. That's our fallen nature. That's how sinful we are. I've never taken drugs. But if I know I sat down and thought about what would it be like to get high? And I thought about it, and I kept thinking about it day after day. You know what I would want to do? I'd want to go out and do it. Even though I've never done it, even though I know it destroys your body, that's how sinful our bodies are. You think about it long enough, you will want to do it. I don't care what sin it is. It does not mean you were born that way. I was born a drug addict because I really want drugs bad. As long as I remember I wanted drugs. It doesn't mean you were born with it. It just means that 
You've been doing it as long as you can remember. In the same way with homosexuality, you were not born a homosexual. You've just been perverted probably right around puberty or before, which most homosexuals were indeed molested as young boys. And that's why they, they have that. There are some exceptions, but the bottom line is people want acceptance. They get around some guys that are homosexual. They want their acceptance. And so they're willing to do whatever causes them to be accepted in that group. And if it's changing their thinking on their sexuality, they'll do it to make themselves feel accepted with that group. Um, you see it from time to time where you have some kid hang out with these guys with black wardrobe with paint their face white and their lips black, you know, and uh, that weirdness, you know. And, and they, you got this regular guy hanging out with them. And then two weeks later, you see him in black clothes with white face and, I was born that way. No, you weren't. <laughs> I've always had it inside me to do. No, you didn't. You hung out with those guys. The peer pressure got to you. You started doing it. It's that simple. It felt right to do it because it made you feel accepted. It made you feel a part of what they're doing. That's our sinful nature. It doesn't matter what you do. You could pull down your pants so you see your boxer underwear. And if it's the cool thing to do, you're going to feel the pressure to do it. You weren't born that well. Actually, maybe you were born that way. Your diaper hanging down. But. So, we need to understand what the time is. We are in the days of Noah. We are in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. And Romans 13, 11 says, And do this knowing the time that it is high time to awake out of sleep. Folks, wake up. We're in a fight. We're in the last days. It's going to be a fight. It's not going to be an easy thing to do. Now, Paul is actually, I believe, taking this concept from what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25. Take a look there, if you would, to Matthew chapter 25 in verse 1. Matthew chapter 25, verse 1. He says, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But listen to this. But while the bridegroom was delayed. Listen to this. The bridegroom was delayed. They all slumbered and slept. You will find, again in every place where the end times is talked about, it seems like it's overdue. Peter said, in the last days they're going to say to the church, you've always said the Lord was going to come back and things have always been the way they are. And Peter, he's, he says that. One of the criticisms are going to be, you've always said the Lord was coming back and look. Where's that criticism going to come from? I believe it comes from that church, part of that church that's fallen away. Part of the church that's become desensitized. Part of the church that's believed the love of the truth, that hasn't believed it and has, has not accepted what they need to accept to be where they need to be. And what happened? Now they're persecuting. What's it say? Jesus said in Matthew 24, brother will give up brother. 
uh, father will give up son. There's going to be this attack, I believe, from carnal Christians to Christians who are wanting to follow the Lord. And it's going to sense as if the Lord should have already come back. Now, in Thessalonians, we're going to see the Antichrist. We're going to see the man of lawlessness. We're going to see the great falling away. We're going to clearly see the platform set. Now, what point is the rapture of the church going to come? It's going to feel like it's coming too late. So it's very possible that we're going to see more than we thought we were going to see. That we're going to experience more than we thought we were going to experience. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, those first couple of verses, it says, In the last days, perilous times will come. Perilous times will come. And then he gives a list of all kinds of evil. Men are going to be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They're going to be haters and boastful and arrogant and all of those lists. And we are going to see this accelerated. Of course, it's hard to imagine things getting much worse than they are now. But they are. And we're going to feel like, when's he going to come back? When's it going to change? When's it going to, when's it going to be over? And I'll tell you, you know, you read that Hebrews 11 and you read Fox's Book of Martyrs and you see Christians going through hideous things. There, one of the persecutions they would do to a Christian is get a, a rat and open the cage door and tie it to the Christian and then just let the rat chew his way through the Christian. And you're just going, no. They'd take Christians and boil them in oil. They'd take Christians and burn them at the stake. And you're just going, no, wouldn't God jump in there? And look in Hebrews 11. They wandered around in caves and holes in the ground, people whom the world wasn't worthy of. And often in our mind, you know, the Lord's going to come through. He won't let us experience that kind of grief. You can read many of the books behind the Iron Curtain. One believer there that I had read a book, and they, he became a believer while in the military, and they took him out and they burned him with cigarettes, took all his clothes off, put him out on an ice lake, and burned him with cigarettes. And then eventually they put kerosene on him and set him on fire until he was charcoaled. And uh, sent him home saying he accidentally got shot. <laughs> and his parents opened it up and there was a charred cold body. But that, <clears throat> one of the men who ended up becoming believers was a part of that. But he also would find where the secret churches were. And, and he would rape all the women, all the Christian women. And one particular Christian woman, she would just look at him and just say, you know, I forgive you. And God forgives you. But right now I rebuke you in the name of Jesus for what you're doing. But God will forgive you even for this. And she was raped many times by the KGB. And you think, man, Lord, you wouldn't allow that. You wouldn't let that happen. He does. There's persecution to degrees that we think that persecution wouldn't happen, but it happens. There Jesus, his own apostle James, but a few months of ministry, and there Herod beheaded him. You'd think, man, the Lord worked with him for three years and only got a few months out of him before he was killed. But yet it happened. And so again, the one sense of the last days is one that evil's going to be there and, and for us to fall asleep and to become a part of that evil, the sense is going to be there. Secondly, is we're going to sense like the Lord's coming is delayed. Like, where is he at? Get me out of here. Hurry up, Lord. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. As he says there in the book of Revelation, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. 
And we're going to have that sense. Right now we don't. We're sort of like, don't come back yet, Lord. <laughs> I'm having too much fun, you know. Don't come back until I get a chance to get married, you know. Don't come back until, you know, I, I get a chance to finish my education. Don't, you know, things are so good. We don't really sense that deep cry, Lord Jesus, come now, quickly, today, Lord, come. It's sort of like, hey, I wouldn't mind living out my life the way it is now. It's sort of fun, you know. Get to lead more people to the Lord and get to write more songs and get to study more of the scriptures. And you know, if the Lord doesn't come back, it's okay with me. Because, again, I, I think we're going to start seeing things change. And then he goes on to say, but they slumber and slept. Now, look there in Matthew 25, verse 6. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourself. And while they went to buy, the bridegrooms came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. And afterwards the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Surely I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you do not neither know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Now if you look at commentaries on this particular parable that Jesus taught, you will find diverse interpretations. And I have personally taught this three times in three different ways. So <laughs> I, I don't really know what is the right interpretation. All I know is which five virgins I want to be. All I know is I want to watch and be ready. Well, Brian, it looks like this is the church and some of the church was so carnal they got left in the tribulation period. Is that possible? All I know is I want to be one of the five that was ready. I don't know. All I know is it's, it's, it's not good not to be ready. And here they said the bridegroom, which we clearly know is Christ. And the bride we know clearly is the church. And those maidens, whoever they were, were waiting and they were asleep and they weren't ready. Well, what's the oil? The Holy Spirit. See, they weren't truly saved. Could be. Maybe not. He's, they said, Lord, Lord, open to us. As Jesus in other parables said, Lord, Lord, be gone, you doers of iniquity. I didn't know you. But they thought they were right. They thought the fact that they were unready was insignificant. They thought that being ready to the degree that God wanted them ready was in their mind not really necessary. They thought they could be sluggish about being ready. They thought they could be sluggish about being watchful. They thought, I'm sort of ready. I'm ready enough. And the Lord says, you're going to pay dearly for not being ready completely. And so again, I say to you in the church, be ready completely. How? Paul talks about that. That we first need to wake up out of our sleep. Don't be slumbering. You don't know the day. You don't know the hour in which the Lord is coming. Turn over, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. In verse 1, again, on the end times. He says there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1, But concerning the times and the seasons, remember, 
We can know the seasons of which the Lord's coming, and this is the last days for sure. Uh, Israel's become a nation, 1948. That generation shall not pass away, I believe that. A generation in the Bible can be 20 years, 40 years, 70 years, or 100 years. I personally choose the 100 years because uh, in Genesis chapter 15, he said the children of Israel would be in Egypt in bondage for four generations. And they were there for 400 years. So uh, the strictest interpretation, I, I believe, of somebody being in bondage, taken out of bondage, would be, for, would be a hundred-year generation. So, but it says that generation shall not pass. When in that generation, we don't know. But anyway, in verse, chapter 5, verse 1, But concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes, notice, as a thief in the night. So one thing we know about the coming of the Lord, it's going to be unpredictable. We don't know when. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. So what's the end times? We're lulled to sleep. Peace and safety. Things are okay. Let loose. Loosen up. Don't be uptight. Don't have your armor on. Don't be prepared. You don't need to be. You see, this is the sense that's going to be given to the Christians. But you, brethren, listen, are not in darkness as that this, this day should overtake you as a thief. You are also sons of light, sons of day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do. Folks, you can try to wake others up, but if they're not going to wake up, don't you roll in bed, over in bed and say, well, if they're going to sleep in, I'll sleep in. You get up. You wake up. Don't sleep as others do, but let us watch and notice, be sober. Be sober in heart. Be sober-minded. Be sober from alcohol. Be sober from any kind of thing that would intoxicate you or lure you. Um, you know, I believe there is television-holics. I believe there's movie-holics. I believe there's magazine-holics as well as alcoholics. Uh, there's people that are addicted to pornography. They are not in control. They are being controlled by some other stimuli. They feel this need to go shopping. They feel this need to go to the latest movie. They feel this need to kick on the TV. They feel this need to have a drink. They feel this need to... You're not in control. Therefore, you're not being sober. The Spirit of God needs to be in control. And you should be able to say no to anything in this world and yes to God in a, in a moment. But if you feel this need like, oh, I can't wait till church gets over. I need to go home and get watch a movie. Brian does make me late. I hate to miss two minutes of it. See, something's wrong. Something's wrong. We should be free. We're just free to live and be in God's will. Be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day, notice, we're never of the night. We're always of the day. Those who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love as a helmet and the hope of salvation. Look over to 1 Peter chapter 4, if you would. First Peter chapter 4. Therefore, in verse 1, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1, 
Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that no longer should live the rest of this time, the rest of our time in these last days, in the flesh for the lust of men, but what? For the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the heathen. The Gentiles is that concept of a, a Jew like Peter. So we're no longer going to live like the Gentiles or the heathen who don't, aren't in the will of God. When we walk in lewdness and lust and drunkenness and revivalies and drinking parties and abominable idolatries, in regard um, to these, they think it's strange that you should not run with them. Now the world says, what? You don't know about that TV program? You haven't seen that movie? You don't know about the latest thing in some teenage magazine? You don't know... They think it's strange that you're not running with them, that you don't know about these things. And they name some movie star and you're ignorant of it. They name some lewd person. I have no idea who you're talking about. My, my kids wouldn't know who Madonna is. I'm glad. I wish I didn't know who Madonna was. <laughs> I think Madonna's father didn't know who she wished to know who Madonna was. But again, they think it's strange that you don't run with them, that you don't know these things. The same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. So in other words, you're not running and just indulging your flesh with these things. And so they speak evil of you. You're some religious person living in your own little world. No, it's, it's, the world's gotten so corrupt. I'm in Sodom and Gomorrah. It's not like I, I'm not wanting to hang out with the neighborhoods because I'm some religious Pharisee wanting to keep myself unstained. That's, that's not what's going on here, folks. That's not what's going on. My kids back a few years ago, here comes down the street, a little five-year-old kid, six-year-old kid, with a whole backpack full of hardcore pornography. And there, I, my kids, I had built them a little treehouse type of thing against the fence, and, and I just was up there sitting in my office and for no reason I just stood up and looked out a window. Never have done that before. Just stepped up and looked and there I looked down and I saw him reaching in to his bag as he was pulling it out and my boys were there not having any idea what's going on and I looked at it and saw what was coming out and I opened the window quick and I screamed I said, stop right there! And they could put it back and started jump the fence, started to run off and I went down and I grabbed him and I caught him and opened it up just full of it. Tell his dad so what? What do you, what do you, what's your problem? You saying I'm not raising my kid good? You know, it's not like I handed it to him. He just snuck into my room and took him off my pile, you know. I'm the, I'm the, I'm the bad guy here. His kid's trying to educate my four-year-old and five-year-old. And I, I'm the, they think it's strange that you're not caught up. And the fact that, what's, what's the big deal about looking at naked women anyway? I mean, do you want your kids to grow up not knowing about the human body? You know, that's their mindset. They, they don't see the evil in it. And the fact that you see the evil in it makes you the weird person. So they speak evil of you. But they will all give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. So rest assured, we will have the last laugh. We will have the last say. We will be the ones vindicated ultimately. Turn over, if you would, to Second Peter, right there, since you're in First Peter, to Second Peter. Look there at verse, chapter three, verse ten. 
in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. To non-Christians? No, to Christians as well. Has any of you guys ever had your house broken into? It's a weird thing. Or, or been in a car wreck. How many has been in a car wreck? Oh, man. <laughs> Don't want to insure Calvary Chapel. Anyway. Um, now they'll ask you, you know. Do you drink? Do you smoke? Do you attend Calvary Chapel? <laughs> You're a risk. Anyway, we're praising the Lord, right? But if you've ever been in a car wreck, which most of you have been, you know you never expected it. It was the last thing on your mind. It was the last thing. When it happened, it's like you're in a dream and everything goes in slow motion. It's sort of like, this isn't happening. I'm going to wake up, and, but it's real. And uh, so I've been told. Anyway, <laughs> and so again, the coming of the Lord is going to be that way. We're, it's the last thing we're going to expect. I, I don't know why we wouldn't be thinking about it, but we were not going to be. And again, the world, of course, is going to be taken as a snare in that. But in which the heavens will pass away, the great noise, the elements will melt with a fervent heat, both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up after the millennial period, ultimately. Um, the earth is going to be destroyed. But in verse 11, Therefore, therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Knowing that these things are going to be dissolved, what kind of person then ought you ought to be? You know, there in China, they have this whole section of the country. They're going to make a giant lake. And hundreds of thousands of people have to leave their homes in these cities that have been there thousands of years. And they're going to dam this one section up and, and all these people, hundreds of thousands of people have to leave their homes, um, again, that have been there for generations and generations. And uh, they're building it and they're just about done. And, but could you imagine a person going down there and buying up all this real estate when they know it's going to be... Um, hundreds of feet underwater in a matter of time. Nobody can sell their house there now. It's but a short time until they open up the floodgates and, and, and the, it's going to be in the bottom of a lake. Nobody's going to start investing, you know, in a 99-year lease. Nobody's going to be buying property there. Nobody's going to be down there fixing up their house. Nobody's doing those kind of things because... They know it's all going to be flooded. In the same way, what kind of persons ought we ought to be knowing that this earth is going to melt away with the fervent heat? Looking for the hastening, it says, for the coming of the day of God. So our heart as believers should be looking for it. It's hard in America that's so prosperous to see this. Uh, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved... Verse 14, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found in him in peace. Found in Christ in peace. Not the peace of this world, but the peace with Christ. Without spot and blameless. On account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also the beloved brother Paul wrote, according to the wisdom given him, goes on. So what kind of persons ought we ought to be 
in holy conduct and in godliness, verse 11, and how else to be diligent to make sure that we're at peace with Him. What do you find when you go into the hospital and somebody's on a deathbed? What do you ask? Are you at peace with God? But we know the day of the Lord is going to come as a thief in the night. Knowing these are the last days, when we lay on our bed at night, we should realize this could be it. The Lord could be coming back tonight. When we're heading off to work, and you're wanting to check out the girls in the car next to you, or you're wanting to listen to some ungodly program that's just flesh, wake up. Right then, the Lord could come back. We should be living in holy conduct. We should be living in godliness. We should be diligent to found in Him with peace, without spot of this world, without being blameless uh, from this world. Look over at Luke, if you would, chapter 21. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 21, there in verse 28. And we are going to be in Romans 13 next week. <laughs> Those last verse 13 and 14. It's a whole other subject. Luke chapter 21, verse 28. Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. Then he spoke to them a parable. Look at the fig tree, I believe representing Israel and all the trees. When they are already budding, you see and know for yourself that summer is now near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Listen to verse 34 now. But take heed to what? Yourselves. Lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, just wanting to be merry, channel surfing, going off to the latest movie, just wanting to, you know, be in love with this world, not to see... You know, just loving the things of this world. Just letting loose, letting your hair down, letting go. And of course, drunkenness. And notice, the cares of this life. In the Hebrew, it translates out Y2K. i got to watch out! I won't have anything to eat or anything to drink. They're going to cut our water off. Ah! The cares of this life. Watch out! And you're so consumed that the day come upon you unexpectedly. For it will come, notice, as a snare on those who will dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. So we need to pray going, God, help me to hate what you hate. Help me to love what you help, love. Lord, help me not to love that program. It's ungodly. Help me not to want to go watch that movie to that guy. I know there's nudity in that movie. I know there's your name's being used in, in vain and I know it's violence and you hate that. God, help me not to, to love um, going to that place because I know it's, it's ungodly and God, help me not to want to hang out with those guys. All they want to do is drink and tell dirty jokes and, and I get caught up with them. Lord, help me not to, to make football my God. Help me not to make baseball my God. Help me to enjoy the things of this world without embracing it and making it uh, a love and a passion and you're put to the side. We need to constantly be praying saying, God, search my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in that way of everlasting. But we need to be careful. Now, look at it. Israel was almost 2,000 years spread to the four corners of the world and these people kept their nationality. And then they come back and they take over the land 
they could have taken over land in Europe, they could have taken land over in Africa, they could have taken land over in Indonesia, they could have taken land over in America, you know, like the Amish people did. Where did they end up? In that piece of real estate that God prophesied and said they would end up back in that real estate, which is again one of the signs of the last times, because Israel had to be a nation for some of the things to be fulfilled. And he said, not one word will pass away. Israel being a nation was essential for end time prophecy to be fulfilled. They are a nation, have been since 1948. The Bible says things would be as Sodom and Gomorrah. What do we see in Sodom and Gomorrah? Homosexuality. What do we see today? Homosexuality. The days would be as Noah, where the thoughts of man were evil continually. That's what we have going on now in our country. Murder and rape and, you know, the internet's just full of pornography. The TV's full of pornography. The, you have nudity is no big deal. God's name used in vain, no big deal. Violence, no big deal. We're seeing evil as good and good and evil, just as the Bible prophesied that it would happen. Um, again, many would come saying, I'm the Christ. You have over a thousand religions that have started in the last 150 years. Those religions that were non-existent 150 years ago, but now thousands of new religions have come about. Earthquakes. You look at the statistic, go get the almanac out of the bookstore, and you will see that in these last 30 years, earthquakes went from a handful to thousands of earthquakes. The same way with famine. Famine, you look on the almanac, the amount of people that were starving to death even 30 years ago, it accelerated and jumped incredibly. I had a pastor friend of mine up in Oregon, he had an almanac, look at this, and it's just, um, just like the Bible predicted. And you just see it right there. This isn't put together by Christians. The amount of earthquakes and the amount of people dying of starvation, these are things that the Bible says would be signs of the Lord's coming. Then pestilence. 20 years ago, there were eight venereal diseases. Now there's almost a hundred venereal diseases just in the last 20 years. Can't be cured. I mean, you have had some of these colds. I, I've been around for 25, six years now, and I, I know, you know, some of you people have been around longer. You know, the, the colds that we're getting now are not colds that we got even a decade ago. These flu bugs are not the flus that you got 10 years ago. Okay? They just said just a couple of weeks ago they have a staph infection in San Diego. No cure for it. The, the, the infection took on the penicillin, figured it out, and now it's immune to it. So that which once cured staph infection no longer cures staph infection. People are dying from a simple staph infection like they did 100 years ago. Pestilence. It's happening. We are in the last days. What are we to do? What kind of manner of people are we to, to live? Number one, we need to wake up. Number two, we need to be sober. Number three, we need to realize that we, like Lot's wife, can become desensitized, desensitized to Sodom and Gomorrah. We, like the days before the flood, can get wrapped up in the sins of the world around us. And what do we say? Be watchful and be praying always that we won't be wrapped up in the world around us. And so again, in the name of I've got freedom in Christ, in the name of I've got liberty in Christ, in the name of I have no law, brother, I'm free in Christ, we are carousing in drunkenness, in rivalries. We're getting caught up in the things of this world and evil is not 
Well, it's sort of bad. It's evil. Good is, if it works out, if it's comfortable, if you got enough sleep and you feel good and your back doesn't hurt and you got enough time and you got enough money and it all works out, yeah, it's a good thing to do. No. It's truth. It's good. It must be done. If you've got to deny yourself and take up your cross, if you've got to beat your body into subjection, good is good and you must do it no matter what. But again, the church is, is waffling, saying, well, it's good enough. I'm as good as the next Christian. No. That's what the Bible says these last days are going to be. A great falling away in the church. Those people are saying, I'm as good as that guy, and you're going to go right off the cliff with them. No, we need to get our eyes on Christ, and we need to live godly and holy as Christ lived a holy and a godly life. We need to wake up and be sober-minded. Well, it's high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand, therefore let us cast off the works of darkness, let us put on the armor of light. And we're going to look a little more at that next week, and then we're going to get down to verse 14 on making no provisions for the flesh. Lord, we ask in Jesus' name, as we're, here we are, we're in church, and you said, especially as you see the day of the Lord drawing near, let us not forsake the gathering together of the brethren. Why? We see it right here. Every one of us sense, Lord, that we have fallen asleep in certain areas in our life. Every one of us here tonight, Lord, sense that morally we've let things slide with maybe our mouth, maybe our eyes, maybe our ears, maybe with how we walk. We're letting things slide, and it's not that bad. Do you have sex with your intern in the Oval Office, it's, it's not, I don't understand what the big deal is. If you lie to the American public under oath, I don't understand what the big deal is. And Lord, here we are. 80% of America is saying, it doesn't seem like a, that big of a deal to me. And here we are, politically being desensitized, morally being desensitized until it's, yeah, I, you know, he's a great guy and our economy's great, what's it matter? We also, Lord, being swept along with the tide of the ungodliness in these last days. Lord, we ask now that you would help us, God. We are praying, Lord, that you would search our hearts. See if there be any wicked way in us, Lord. Lead us in the way of everlasting, God. Help us, God, if we are being pulled about by our flesh, Lord, by the TV or by the movies or by drinking or by pornography or by lust or by partying that or by the, the the partying spirit there is in the sports activity and it's causing us to be a carousing person lord help us god if we're just being pulled along to cheer and scream at games but yet we can't even sing one note at church to be able to shout with a voice of triumph in front of a television set at a, at a ball game but yet we don't want to say praise the lord even once at work or anywhere else lord help us god we would awaken out of our slumber right now, that we would see clearly as you see things, Lord, that we would be counted worthy in those last days, that we wouldn't come knocking too late saying, okay, I, I've caught on, let me in, and to, and to hear to say it's too late. We're, we've already heard your warning. Watch, be ready, be sober. Don't be taken, that day be taken off guard as a snare to you, but to be ready and worthy, to be counted worthy on that day. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name.
Amen. If you need prayer.